podcast where each week we talk about a movie that's chosen by our guests, someone we invite to come on, that reflects their experience as some part of a marginalized community or part of society that isn't usually talked about or represented in media. We hope that through our conversations we can explore how pop culture can be a way to learn more about each other, about a pressing social issue so that we can do better and make the world better in some small way. This week we have with us Jesse Baird. Hello. I'm Benjamin Thevenin. So uh, this week's film is It Follows. Uh, It's a 2014 thriller directed by David Robert Mitchell that follows a group of teenagers living in in suburban Detroit as they try and escape a mysterious, sinister presence that constantly stalks them. After the main character, Jay, played by Micah Monroe, sleeps with her boyfriend, Hugh, for the first time, she begins being followed slowly and relentlessly by some sort of supernatural being. Now, the ominous presence can appear as a stranger or someone familiar, but it's only visible to the one being stalked. If it catches Jay, she'll be killed, and the only way for her to be rid of her pursuer is to have sex with someone else and pass it on. Though, as Jay and her friends discover, maybe it can never really be stopped. After it finally catches up to the next person in the chain, it simply returns to stalk whoever passed it on. Now, the movie's a part of a pattern in recent years of high-concept, low-budget art house horror films, and the movie's smart and open-ended story has been interpreted as a commentary on issues as specific as um, as sexually transmitted disease and the lack of sex education to broader issues of just becoming adults and confronting mortality. We used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. Okay. You awake? What are you doing? You're not going to believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. We're going to explore a a little bit of different territory today. Jesse, oh wait, first... I do feel obligated to give a, a bit of a heads up to our listeners that however you interpret the movie, it follows is pretty intense and it includes some scenes of uh, violence and relentless suspense throughout. Um, I had nightmares. Literally. Really? Yep. <laughs> it was, it's interesting because my friends, <clears throat> when I was telling them I'm watching it follows, they were not, a lot of them were not excited. They said they really didn't like this movie. And I was shocked because I've only heard good things about it mm-hmm. from film people. Uh, but just my friends who are not really film people didn't love it at all. And they all said it's just about – it's a dumb movie about STDs. And yeah. I think when people watch it like that and they're like, this is a dumb movie about STDs, they're going to hate it because mm-hmm. it doesn't say anything interesting about STDs. But that's why I'm so excited to hear what Jesse has to say about it because we're not talking about STDs today. Which is pretty great. Jesse, do you want to talk about a little bit – first, I guess, about, about your background, but then just kind of why you chose this film for the issue that you did. It's just really interesting to me. Uh, Yeah. So I'm from rural Idaho. I live outside of a small town uh, with less than 400 people. 
it's an old like logging town but logging doesn't happen there anymore so it's just it's one of these towns that in 20 years is going to be a ghost town i think uh if everyone there decides to go somewhere with more opportunities so i grew up like very poor uh so when i came to byu which i only got to byu through scholarship because that's kind of the way like the American dream works. You need someone to allow you to uh, come up. Uh, it's kind of very hard to actually just do everything on your own merit. So that whole bootstraps thing. Yeah, the whole bootstraps thing, which is uh, it's a paradox. It it was written originally as like an impossible task, like pulling yourself out of quicksand by pulling on your hair. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do oh. it, but people say it, and it doesn't mean anything. But people really love to say it, even though it just points out what the actual problem is. Uh, <laughs> I never thought of it that so way. So it was originally, it, it means, the original meaning of it means the opposite oh, as to a way that we typically yeah, hear I, it Yeah, I can't remember what the today. original phrase is, but like if you have bootstraps and your foot's down and you're pulling up those bootstraps, you aren't going to be able to pull up your foot. You can only pull up your foot by pulling up your foot. Huh. But no one uses it to mean that, uh, including That's my mom. Really that was one of my mom's favorite phrases growing up, which is, uh, it's weird. Yeah, coming mom. From... <laughs> yeah, mom. I love you. Uh, I love you, but you're wrong. But it's it's not just a, a sentiment that you know people who are looking at uh, the poor think. It's something that the poor also think. Every poor person is lazy, except for me, which is absurd. Uh, so watching it follows. There's the obvious, it's about sex. It's about how sex is bad, blah, blah, blah. All those things which are, like Max said, very boring. And also, you know, that's been done to death by every horror movie where someone has sex and then dies. But watching it as a film where it's a bunch of kids in Detroit uh, who have this thing coming towards them, just this looming threat always coming towards them. And there's nothing they can do about it. It just persistently comes towards them until i mean spoilers but at the end it's ambiguous as to whether or not they actually solved the problem yeah uh that that is what like poverty is Mm -hmm. that's that's how i view it it's just this looming threat that's constantly coming towards you and there's no clear solution as to how to fix it i mean when I watched it with my friends after the film was over, everyone just said, why don't they just get on a plane, fly to the other side of the country? Uh, why don't poor people just move out, move yeah. to a place yeah. with better uh-huh. opportunities? You just, you can't do that. That's not a feasible solution. And that's a big reason why I was so happy that the subject matter of this movie is kids. Yeah. Because they don't have the ability to just change their lives completely to move out. Um, and their parents are notably absent except for when they are appearing as uh, the creature trying to hurt mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Which I don't know. I don't entirely know how to parse. But I think it does go back to this interpretation of viewing the creature as a as a threat of poverty, as a threat of, um, you know, with some bills being need to pay, the threat of eviction, the threat of um, not being able to provide a future for your loved ones or your children – and you might be able to shoot it down. I think it's like super compelling when they when they shoot this creature. It falls down for a second, then just get back gets back up to get them. You yeah. can't. You can only delay the inevitable. You can only put patchwork over it and live uh, moment to moment, paycheck to paycheck. Right. You you 
you get extra hours at work, you pay your rent for the month, you have enough money to buy your kids Christmas presents, and then January 1st comes by and you have to do all of it over again. Uh, and just the the idea of cycles is really prevalent in the, the film as well. Jay's dad is notably absent until he shows up as kind of the final boss of, <laughs> of the monster. But Jay's mom is present in a few scenes. She's in the background. She's uh, drinking orange juice or reading a magazine. Uh, they talk about how she's, when they're playing cards on the uh, the porch, Jay's sister says that her mom's definitely asleep because she has to get up at 5.15 in the morning because mm-hmm. that's when she has to get up for work. So she gets up early. She goes to work all day. She comes home and is too tired to be present in her kids' lives. She's trying her hardest, maybe, but, uh, you know, there's just – there's not enough there, which also resonates with me coming from a, a single-parent family where my mom did the same thing. She yeah. woke up very early. She worked very hard. At the end of the day, she was just tired and therefore kind of absent, not because of being a bad person, just because uh, you can either make sure your kids have a home and things or you can physically – be there and that's just not a that's not something you see in media very often just even even poor people in movies yeah. are like quote unquote poor like it never goes into how do they pay for food how do they pay for this nice apartment or home how do they pay for their car how do they pay to like go to the doctor all of these things that was uh the absence of the parents was something i found really interesting because i think you're right in that st- that the idea of the single parent home and like the circumstances that so many uh, families find themselves like contributes to this uh, circumstance of poverty that you're talking about. Like those kind of those overlap in really difficult, like complicated ways. Um, It also was interesting for me, like from a personal perspective, because that was my greatest fear growing up is that something bad would be happening and I, I couldn't go to my parents for help. Yeah. But I recognized when I was watching this film that 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 is taken for granted actually within this film like the move the the kids in the movie the teenagers at no point do they say like we our mom could help us our parents can help us like it's taken for granted that actually the mom cannot that their parents like offer cannot offer any help yeah they're they're either just absent entirely or they're busy with their own cycle of of the quote-unquote it following them in my i realize my fear in some ways, it was like a fear born out of privilege that I had parents that, like, like we grew up in a upper middle class home. Like I had parents that were uh, able to, uh, you know, circumstantially like care for our needs and also like kind of be there for us. And so my fear that one day they wouldn't was in some ways like it was just born out of that circumstance that for the most part I did have that, you know. And seeing these kids kind of. Uh, have to face the struggle on their own so matter-of-factly was kind of eye-opening for me. Yeah, and, and they they face, they face deal with it in such uh, childish and a positive way ways. Mm-hmm. Their their plan is to trap the monster in a pool and electrocute it with hair dryers. Uh, and to use, <laughs> use bait, Jay is in the pool <laughs> that they're planning on electrocuting someone. That's right. <laughs> uh, which, I don't know. I, I'm sure you all remember being, like, stupid kids and doing <laughs> stupid things like 
we should jump off the the roof and go uh-huh. on the trampoline. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. won't end poorly. And, <laughs> you know, it it does mm-hmm. end poorly for them because uh, it doesn't actually solve anything. I'm curious, Jesse, the significance of this movie. I mean, there's other movies that uh, address poverty in more explicit ways, right? Like, they, like or, uh, I think about in recent years – Stuff like the Florida Project or Beasts of the Southern Wild. Season or, one of Atlanta, I think, is one season, of the greatest explorations of poverty. For sure, right? And in each of these, it's kind of it's social realism, right? Um, and last week we talked to, with uh, Sharon about Hellboy and how she found that the metaphor, the kind of fantastical story that Hellboy offered, was was almost more helpful to kind of understanding her circumstance. And I'm curious about that. Like, what was it about this film that's a genre film, that's a horror movie, right, that you feel like especially speaks to your experience in ways that maybe these kind of more realistic, quote-unquote, like movies, like, wouldn't be able to? Um, partly, I just really love horror. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's nice seeing a film where them being poor isn't, like, the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like pursuit of happiness is about a homeless man and the thing is that like he's homeless it's a great movie but you know that's not as relatable as something that's more allegorical Mm -hmm. where you watch it and then at the end you think back and realize oh uh, this movie resonates with me for a lot of reasons it's not that I'm afraid of getting an STD which is scary or I'm afraid of monsters getting me, which is scary. It's, uh, I'm afraid of these cycles that start a long, long time ago, just repeating and repeating and eventually just not being able to outrun them. Yeah. And that's why I love so much about the end. I think one of you called it ambiguous at the beginning, but to me it was, you know, it's so clear cut. It's, there's a, there's a monster and they'll never know whether it's right behind them or not. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think by the end they get so desensitized to this monster. At the beginning of the movie she cries and screams every time she sees it. By the end it's just another just another monster following you back today. Right, which by by the end the monster looks like her dad who abandoned her who sort of like put her family in or at least contributed to putting her family into the situation that they're in. And by then, it's just, it's nothing. It's an old hat. She, it's just another generic monster and not the source of all this uh, trauma, the beginning of this cycle of just poverty and not doing well. Which is, it, it taking place in Detroit is super important, too. And, like, I think the director's a Detroit guy, I want to say, because his first feature was also set in Detroit, and it... I don't. I mean, maybe there's a reading that also could be he said of uh, the myth of the American sleepover that it's also kind of addressing poverty. But it seems like he he either has roots in this place or is, has has some affection for this place. But I think you're right. It's like there's a there's a moment within the film when they're going to kind of confront the monster at the pool at the end, where where one of the characters talks about kind of the the failed community that is this part of like inner city Detroit that they're going to and it's failed because in the 30s sometime in the first half of the 1900s uh, Ford manufacturing was in Detroit it's how they got their economy and then Ford went somewhere else and didn't set up any sort of system for the people who couldn't just move somewhere else which starts this long cycle of just 
people being impoverished, having responsibilities they can't take care of, then their kids grow up and are also in poverty, uh, and it just repeats over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Which, not to get too much into like the reproductive issue of it, but you know, having having a child when you're not ready, like having sex and then having this uh, responsibility that's looming, just coming towards you, and eventually it's going to be born and you're going to have to deal with that, that child that definitely contributes to just people getting stuck in just cycles of poverty. I know in my hometown, a lot of people have children and then that's their life now, which is great that their responsibility shifts to taking care of their family, but it's unfortunate that they didn't get to go out and do the things that, they wanted to or that oftentimes like them having the their children right is not the result of a conscious decision it's the result of a lack of sexual education or a a failure you know a lack of opportunity to get contraceptives or whatever it may be and so i think the the combination of the reproductive issue and the poverty cycle i think is really interesting because those two in so many ways kind of overlap absolutely but to me i i think it's really it's really interesting that they have sex be the mode of transferring this. Mm-hmm. Or really, it's it's to me, it's not really the mode of transferring, but it's the catalyst that begins the stalking and the haunting. And a lot of critics, when they talk about this movie, talk about how the monster coming after them happens because of a, a abandonment of childhood innocence. And mm-hmm. that's what the sex is really there for. It's showing... You're no longer a child, you're an adult, and now you have to assume these adult responsibilities. You no longer can have that um, childhood innocence. Uh-huh. And when they talk about it, it's typically talking about the um, inevitability of pain and death. Yeah. But I think it also really works really well with this reading about poverty because when you start to have sex, when you start to um, have children be a possibility, or you just take on the roles of an adult who is sexually active, it, it does serve as a brief... I don't know, distraction or a way to alleviate some of the pain, but really it's a signpost to showing that now you have all these additional responsibilities, you have all these extra factors weighing you down in life that are going to keep slowly trotting after you until they get you. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being a kid and getting $10 for my grandma was like, oh, man, $10? You could buy a Bionicle with that. Yeah, this is the most money that exists. (laughs) No one has more money than this. And now, like, $10 is effectively nothing. Uh, It's it's such a small amount of money compared to how much you need to pay for rent uh, or just any of those things. You can't see a movie for $10. Right, and that just happens when you grow up and you have real things to compare value to uh and realize just oh yeah cool uh money is it's less powerful than uh you think it is when you're a kid and this might be a slightly tangential point but i'm just i'm really happy we're talking about this movie in this way because i think it can be so easy to latch onto one interpretation of this movie for some people it's the really really surface level it's about stds which i I'd probably even say it's just, this movie's just not about that at all. But also there's the, um, the the really universal, it's about death plotting after you. But also there's this really great reading about that we're talking about right now that's uh, about poverty. And I think that's not even a stretch. I think it was intended by the, uh, the allusions to Detroit and allusions to uh, the different socioeconomic circumstances of our characters. But to me it shows 
I think a lot of the potential of the modern horror genre to speak to broader things, to mm. be open to a lot of interpretations and have a lot to say while using these feelings of fear and anxiety, which I think work really well for uh, for the state of modern America, which is maybe why we're having such a great revival of horror movies, because there's so much fear, there's so much anxiety mm-hmm. lingering from, I don't know, post-9-11 America now to uh, Trumpian America. Um, it makes it makes perfect sense to me that we're going to have all these horror movies horror movies that have that say the most more than any other movie genre. Well, maybe that's a lot to say, but I would I would I would say so. I don't know. Well, horror is the best genre that exists. Yeah. Nothing does anything better. <laughs> well, and like I mean, now we have even I think horror since its beginnings. Right when you think about the early monster movies and even before that, like you know German expressionist movies have always functioned to as a critique, a kind of a veiled critique of societal circumstances, but specifically like class-based ones, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like those German expressionist films, that's coming after World War One, where Germany is suffering economically and uh, in other ways, right? Um, and those anxieties are expressed on screen with like the, the earliest horror films. Um, I'm, I'm really excited, like, because we just don't, we just don't talk about class and like, socioeconomic issues in America like we need to if doing it through the metaphor of monsters helps us be able to figure this out and express our anxieties like I'm all for it like that's exciting to me and and even I think it's exciting that now there's almost a spotlight being shown on these type of movies with like the films that Jordan Peele's making and he's calling them social thrillers he's saying look let's embrace the opportunity that we have to grapple with these issues using horror as a genre it's kind of cool uh i'm glad you brought up jordan peele because uh us his newest film i think does what i'm claiming it follows does way better and way just more explicitly so if y'all haven't seen us yet have you seen it max uh i've read a lot about it um it's yeah i it's great. It it's great. Don't so. spoil it for me. Uh, yeah, yeah just it. just watch it, but specifically look for just themes of poverty and the forgotten parts of America and the forgotten people in America and kind of the the Marx idea of like the economic base and superstructure because uh, it's all there, which is cool. It's cool that horror films are being taken more seriously because as fun as it is to just like go in and get scared, I love that. Treat it like a haunted house. That's great, but it's also great to just get people thinking about things mm-hmm. uh, that maybe they don't think about. Cause... But, well, yeah, I was going to say that when you say, like, you know, you go and have that feeling of the haunted house, um, but that to me is kind of the point of the horror movie. There's yeah. a, a great critic, Pauline Kale, who talks about how her contemporaries, uh, who are movie critics, would undermine the emotional reaction they have to movies and try to over-intellectualize it. When she says your your instincts and your base emotional reactions are the sum total of every intellectual, emotional, spiritual experience you've ever had, it's them all coming to the forefront at once. And so that's what she would primarily write things about. And so that's why I think, that's another reason why I think that this movie does so well at portraying its message, because we're not left to have to sort things out intellectually, which we can, but we're just left with this this feeling of dread and this fear of something slowly coming to get you. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, makes a really strong point that I'm later able to sort out more 
but I'm only really interested in thinking about because of that intense reaction that I had, yeah. that, that haunted house reaction that you mentioned. That's that's a really great point, that it requires you to engage with it in a mm-hmm. way that uh, straight-forward drama that wouldn't make you feel the same feels, right, does. That the movie says, how do you feel right now? And you're like, I feel terrible. And they're like, good, you should. Yeah. And then you're left to figure out, like, well, why should I? <laughs> why, why do? Why should I be feeling terrible? And and this is the conversation that results from that. Yeah, when when you see something particularly gruesome or shocking or horrifying, and then you really have to reckon with why is that thing scary? But like the Saw franchise, mm-hmm. is like what is what is this thing doing that is actually freaking me out? Yeah. That uh, some other horror movie that does the exact same thing isn't doing can i uh, add a question for listeners i figured one out uh is there a horror movie you know in this genre of horror thriller suspense that you feel like effectively speaks to a pressing social issue um that maybe a personal connection or interest in um we talked about us we've talked about it follows and some of the early examples but i'm curious like what some of our listeners favorites are um, Jesse, like we're gonna wrap up in a few minutes, but I'm uh, curious about like sequences or scenes that stand out in particular as being like either just striking to you or particularly kind of insightful to like this uh, reading that you have of it. Um, well, there's the there's an interesting kind of duality with uh, Hugh, her her boyfriend. It's a fake name. I can't remember what his real name is. Uh, like Jeff. 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 Oh, so synchronized. <laughs> uh, thank you. I watched the movie. That's just the white guy name, though, isn't it, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, it's like Jeff or Chad or Rick or something. Um, so he he has a like a fake house that he he lives in when he is trying to pass along the curse. It's just a mattress, some playpen magazines, uh, bottles in front of all the windows. It's it's a trap house essentially, mm-hmm. uh, a bando. But he also has this – he lives at his mom's house, and it's a very nice middle-class home uh, and just kind of the duality between uh, when he's he's the victim of that thing coming towards him. He lives in this run-down home that was very cheap to buy versus when he feels, like, safe and secure. He lives in Mm -hmm. his mother's home, and it's nice, and there's a backyard. Uh, And also just – I don't know, the movie does a lot of cool stuff where just in the background there's a thing that might be mm-hmm. might be the It Follows, yeah. which my friends will text me a lot when they're walking alone at night. Uh, just a picture of them and way in the background is like <laughs> someone who's also walking and they say, oh no, there's an It Follows behind me. It's gonna get me. I'm in danger. And this movie is just really good with that. Yeah. The, the last shot is Jay and her boyfriend walking uh it cuts behind them it cuts in front of them and there's a person there who maybe it's the guy maybe it's not Mm -hmm. who knows and the very last kind of movement of the camera is following them but then it pushes in just a little bit quicker which leaves you thinking oh it it was them and now they're dead dead. uh and there's another part where it's just someone playing soccer and they're walking towards the group and the whole time you're thinking is that the It Follows monster? Is it going to get them? And someone finally says, can you see that person? Mm-hmm. And they all can. It's just someone walking to their home. Uh, it's not a threat. But uh, the film does a lot with just 
cool, weird, scary stuff in the background. I think that, I mean, that the idea of the monster, like, lurking anywhere in anyone, you know, I think is uh, really effective as a just a scary thing. Right, because sometimes it can be an old woman who's in a hospital gown. Sometimes it can be uh, a like naked a... man standing on your roof yeah. or a, a woman just peeing her pants while walking to you in, like, torn clothes. Or sometimes it can yeah. just look like your mom mm-hmm. uh, or your dad and that's just scary it can come at any time i and I, I i i feel like that offers something even more to the reading the fact that like class especially in america is so elusive to be able to talk about like we don't we can't no one wants to no talk one about wants it. to talk about it and the fact that these these characters are they can appear as anyone and that they're only visible to like the person being stalked it like i think it really speaks to that this, this is an issue that is pressing that is immediate but like we can't quite only, see it. Only some people are aware of it because some people have that experience. Yeah. Um, one like statistic I looked up, uh, which I'll share, is uh, people are more afraid. They have more anxiety about losing their money or an economic collapse more than like biological warfare or climate change <laughs> or mass shootings, which mm-hmm. I would argue of the four of those, like money is the least real thing to yeah. be afraid of. Uh, which we don't have to, like, get into that. But, like, mass shootings are real. Climate Mm -hmm. change is, like, a thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Biological warfare is a thing that's happened. Money is a thing that, like, you know, it's it only has value because we give it value. It doesn't have, like, an immediate pressing Mm -hmm. effect, except for it it does. And people are more afraid of just losing their money than, uh, I don't know, anthrax or a nuke being dropped or uh just getting shot while at the market which is it makes sense as an american who is a a poor person but it's also just baffling that we're more afraid of the effects of this system than we are afraid of physical tangible things that can get us Mm -hmm. i i i'm curious about one more question jesse like this idea of the cycle, I think, is interesting, interesting to me. The fact that uh, Jay feels this obligation to... She, I mean, she's just stuck between this rock and the hard place. Either I'm going to eventually be killed or I'm going to have to uh, pass this on and so, basically like subject someone else to this terrible experience. Yeah. And I'm just curious about, like, what do you feel like are the applications of that narrative device? Like, when thinking about the cycles of poverty, right? Like, you know, is that – what's the meaning of that? You know, are, are, are parents that are living in these circumstances, like, what what is the mechanism for them, like, unwittingly but also kind of out of obligation passing this poverty on to – the next generation or something like that. It's a, it's a really interesting question. Jay's, Jay's mom had no idea of knowing that, well, I assume her mom had no way of knowing that she would have two kids, her husband would leave, and it would be just very difficult, and she mm-hmm. wouldn't have, like, a relationship with them. So she kind of unknowingly uh, passed the mantle of responsibility down to just the next person yeah. to take care of, which happens. No one... No one gets married and has a family while also thinking, like, this is going to end with my husband leaving me and me being stuck taking care of these two kids without any resources. Mm -hmm. But it happens. Or just the – 
we have kind of a, a competitive work ethic in America. It's kind of this puritanical work ethic where uh, you just have to work really hard and everything will work out for you. And anyone else who doesn't work hard is just a lazy person. Uh-huh. And that's why they don't get better. So that that feeds into just uh, feeling okay, kind of screwing over other people mm-hmm. in order to get ahead financially. A good example in Utah is doing, you know, summer sales where you're praying on, praying is a strong word, uh, where you're marketing to people who maybe don't fully understand what you're selling and it might be a scam. We'll use MLMs as a whole instead of, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, you're, you're selling something that isn't a real product. Yeah. Uh, you're selling like the idea of this product and it doesn't matter that the person you're selling it to is going to like go in debt because of it. What matters is that you you get your money for it and you can take care of your family and it it doesn't matter what what the person you sold it. It's it's their responsibility now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that goes back to the whole um, aspect of passing off the pain, passing yeah. off poverty into someone else while you you just give it to someone else and you don't worry about it for you. Yeah. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on today and for talking about this great movie. Um, we didn't even get into the um, crazy, beautiful cinematography and really uh, oh yeah, it looked pretty. Camera movement, the, the symbolic music the, the, the disaster music piece soundtrack is incredible. Is awesome. I suggest you listen to it while driving or doing anything because it <laughs> no, makes anything you yeah. do just like a life or death white knuckle <laughs> like if I don't do this I'm gonna die situation it's incredible I had a splinter one time with it playing <laughs> and let me tell you I've never been more scared in my life uh, gets your heart pumping it's a good album it yeah. is yeah. there's there's tons about this movie we didn't even touch so definitely check it out it's a very rich text and uh, yeah thanks for coming on Jesse yeah thanks for having me uh, we uh, uh, want to thank Aiden Bay for our musical intro. Uh, thanks, Aiden. Um, if you have listener feedback, you can email it into moviesasmirrors at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking uh, to Colton Ashley about if I don't know what film we're talking about. We'll see. It'll be fun. Talk to you next week. Okay. Is Aiden Bay.